0: Next for this morning is Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, found on page 1021 of your Bible if you want to follow along with me and critique whether I say these names right or not. The good thing about reading biblical names is that really no one knows what they sound like, so (laughs) I know exactly what they sound like and you don't know any different the reality that I don't know exactly what they sound like. So we are in Luke chapter 3 verses 23 through 38. We've got the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We'll read the text here and then get into it. Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. <clears throat> Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi the son of Jani, the son of Joseph. The son of Mattathias, the son of Amos. The son of Nahum, the son of Ezli, the son of Nagai. The son of Math, the son of Mattathias. The son of Simeon, the son of Joseph. The son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, The son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel. The son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of ElMadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Ilachim, the son of Maliah. The son of Minna, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salah, the son of Nation, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Herzron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Surug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shim, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the Son of God. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God will stand forever. How did I do? Is that all right? How many were wrong? (laughs) Oh, hey, all right. I get an applause for that? I just read that? All right, I could take that. Hey, you liked it? All right. So, uh, big, long list of names. You know, it's... uh, I'm not sure when we talked about it, I went through the book of Zephaniah and how odd it was. You don't hear many people preach on the book of Zephaniah. Well, you probably don't have a lot of sermons that pick the genealogy of Jesus as their sermon text. But one of the the things that I'm passionate about is expositing the Bible, going through verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter through the Bible because it keeps me honest that I don't come up here and just try to give you my pet topics, the things that I like to talk about. But what has God divinely inspired to be recorded in His book for us to read for our edification? And so that means sometimes we show up on a Sunday morning and we're going to talk about the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which means I'm going to read off 77 names in a row of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But Luke is finishing up this section. Now, <clears throat> the, the chapter and verse divisions that are in your Bible are not divinely inspired. They were not always there. They were added later on for ease for you and I to be able to find where the other person is at in the Bible. When they had the scrolls and whatever, they didn't have chapter verses, but they added these things later. But you can kind of make see how this makes sense. So there, it's not divinely inspired, but at the end of chapter 3, there's a real clear kind of break where Luke has been through this big long introduction for three chapters presenting us this person of Jesus Christ And then here to this morning, in the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus, he's going to kind of end that section before he launches into the actual content of the ministry of Jesus, starting with his temptations that we get to next week. We'll go to the temptations of Jesus Christ. So Luke is kind of tying this all up here at the end of talking to us about who Jesus was. As he comes on the scene, we've gone through many things in the past uh, 12 sermons about all of these events leading up to the ministry of Jesus, the uniqueness of this person, Jesus Christ. And so Luke is concluding this section, as we have read, with his genealogy, this big, long list of names. We have. Can anybody go 77 grandparents back in their genealogy? Can anybody go 7 grandparents back in their genealogy? You can? Really? Wow. So the genealogies, they're really super cool to know. But, I mean, we don't have, we don't, we don't uh, prize them like what they once used to. This is, you would line up your genealogy. You owned land off of your ancestors, your ancestors, your ancestors, your ancestors. And so I just, you know, I just learned this morning that Grandma and Grandpa's farm, where I live by Blackmore Corner, is where Harold's parents were at. So, I mean, you know, you know—that's my that land that I always felt like is Dolachek land, not that many generations ago, wasn't even Dolachek land, right? So we don't, we don't keep genealogies now like they used to. They would line them up all the way back. And as you can see, Luke takes this genealogy all the way back to Adam. <laughs> That's how far back this genealogy goes. In our context, in our culture, it doesn't necessarily matter so much where you descend from. I would probably argue that a lot of that comes from the influence of Christianity upon the modern culture where we kind of see the obliteration of there is neither slave nor Greek nor, Jew, nor, nor slave nor free nor Jew nor Greek nor barbarian nor Scythian, but all are in Christ. And there was kind of this obliteration of, of class and you know, as, you know, whatever your status is to where we're all kind of one in Christ that kind of gets rid of this. It doesn't matter necessarily where you come from, but come, that's kind of the call of the Christians. So, but anyway, we've lost this genealogy in our day today. But in the Jewish context, it was, there was great importance associated with your genealogy. But what, why does then, since this is in our inspired Bible, we want to ask the question, why does Luke include this? What importance does this hold for us in seeing the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And we're going go to just three thoughts on that this morning. Well, the first one we've got to tackle is that uh, if, if you know your Bible very well, if, you, if you're a, kind of a, an astute Bible reader, you'll know there's one other location in your Bible that a genealogy is recorded, and it's in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, when he starts his gospel, he starts it with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then Luke has one here in Luke chapter 3. And to in full disclosure, okay, I got to be honest because if you went and looked this up, you might discover this. And so I don't want you to think, well, Darren didn't even know this was a, this was an issue. So the genealogies in Matthew and Luke do not agree. Matthew and his and they, they agree in different ways, but one of the main differences is that Matthew starts with um, with Abraham. And works his genealogy all the way down to Jesus. And Luke starts his at Jesus and then works all the way down. They they do them in reverse order. But there's significant difference between the line of David that Matthew follows Solomon and Luke here follows Nathan, the son of David, a little known son of David. And so these genealogies part. They're, They're not the same. So there is an apparent contradiction between them. And I say apparent because that's what I think it is. I think it's an apparent contradiction. Contradiction. Many reasons have been put forward as to why these differ, why they have differences. And I just want to put it out there so we're, we're, we're educated on our Bibles. We want to be people that love the book. We want to be people of the book, love our Bibles, so we know how, to, how does this thing work together. Many things have been, have been kind of put out as what a possibility might be. One of them is that uh, Matthew follows the kingly line, like Who would have been next king in the, in, if Israel had continued on? Who would have been the next kingly orders into the line of, of Jesus? And Luke follows like a biological descent. That's one guess. The one that I find makes the most sense to me is that what you have in Matthew is the line of Joseph coming down from David, Solomon, all the way down to Jesus. And what you have in Luke is actually the, the, the genealogical line of Mary we see that they, they differ even to their parents. So it says Jesus is, um, Joseph's father is Jacob in Matthew, and his father is Heli or Heli in, in Luke. But if you look at what Luke is talking about here, it kind of makes sense. Verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of healing. And there there are extra sources that do say that Mary's father was healing. So there's a great chance that what you see here and what has Luke been emphasizing all along is the virgin birth of Jesus. So just to kind of settle that, just to be up front, get kind of technical, I, I didn't mean to bore you with it, but I, I don't want you to have, you know, go out there and talk about what we talked about, the genealogy, and somebody say, well, what do you make of the difference between Matthew and Luke, and not have an answer, okay? There's an answer, There's a, there, there are several good possible reasons. Another one might be that Mary might have been had no brothers, and so when Mary and Joseph were married, then by rights, Joseph becomes an adoptive son of Mary's father as well, becomes an heir to this lineage. And so Joseph had these two lines possibly as the adoptive father of Jesus. But there is an important theological difference. So apart from the differences in the names, there's really important theological difference in their genealogy. Matthew takes his back to Abraham. Who's Abraham? He's the, he's the father of the Jewish faith, right? He's the first man that God speaks to that calls out, gives him the promises Gives him the promised land. He's the beginner, the starter of the Jewish faith. Matthew is writing largely to a Jewish audience. And so he wants to prove to his readers that, listen, Jesus is this descendant of Abraham. But Luke, he takes his genealogy not just back to Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam. He goes all the way back to Adam. And a great implication out of this is that Jesus is not just important to the Jewish faith tracing it back to Abraham, but that Jesus holds great importance for all men as we are all descendants of Adam. That it isn't like Jesus is just belongs to this special class of people. His genealogy and tracing it all the way back to Adam is to make us realize and think about the reality that Jesus is not just this Jewish Savior, but that Jesus is actually the Savior of all mankind. It's one of the emphases. Of Luke and his gospel writing. You remember, Simeon, in his singing of the Song of the Temple, speaks of a light of salvation for the Gentiles. And one of Luke's great emphasis is, that, um, is the realization that the gospel, Jesus Christ as the Savior, is not just for this special class of Jews, but is for all people. And so Luke takes his genealogy all the way back to Adam to impress upon us the reality that this is not just a Jewish Savior. This is the Savior of all men. He's a descendant all the way back from Adam. Tied up in this genealogy is the proclamation that Jesus isn't just the Jewish Savior, but the Savior of all mankind. That's the first thought on the genealogies that we see, tracing this all the way back to Adam, who is the Son of God. Second is the emphasis that we see on both the divine nature and the human nature of Jesus. We're just coming off this interesting account, right, of his baptism, this supernatural event where Jesus goes to the Jordan, be baptized by John, he's put down in the water, he's raised back up, and what happens? The Holy Spirit, in a bodily form, descends and lands on him like a dove, flutters down and lands on him, and then an audible voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. A voice comes from heaven. So there's, there's just been this abundance of supernatural events go on all the way through these first three chapters, right? With the angel Gabriel showing up a couple of times. I don't know, Elizabeth getting uh, bearing a child in her as she was advanced in years. And then Mary bearing a child to a virgin womb angels showing up, the heavenly host, which does mean this large number of angels seeing out, is surrounded by all of these supernatural events. And so Luke is raising up both of these realities in the supernatural uh, birth of the Savior, but also not only is this the, the entrance of the divine, this, this, there is a real tie to the humanity of Jesus. There's this emphasis on the divinity of Jesus, that he is God in human flesh. And there also is this emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. He comes into the world like all the rest of us. Born of a woman, born under the law. He enters into space and time as a real human being. And Luke is is working hard to raise up both of these realities for us. Is Jesus God or is Jesus a man? May ask you that question. Let me put this to you. Is Jesus God or is Jesus a man? And the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> is Jesus God or is Jesus a man? And what we have in the person of Jesus is what's fancily called the hypostatic union. Anybody like fancy words besides me? Hypostatic union. In that what we have in Jesus is totally God and totally man brought together. He doesn't get rid of His divinity and become just a man. Or He's not a man who's elevated to the place of God. He is fully God. He is fully man. And what Luke is emphasizing is the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God. You know what else He is? He's man. He's born of a woman he's a perfect man he's a sinless man but nonetheless he's a man which is important because as our representative before god we need one who is like us we need a representative who is like us in his humanity that is jesus we also need someone who's a little bit better than us because if anyone who is just like us to go before god gets god's justice he needs to be something more than just man, and that is the emphasis on the divinity of Jesus. And so Luke is holding up both of these realities, because you know who has genealogies, right? Who has genealogies? People who are real. You don't, you don't have, a, I mean, if, if you just kind of come out of nowhere, once upon a time there was a man, and he, uh, he appeared, and he said he was God, well, that's an interesting story, but he's... Luke is bringing out to to us this reality. Jesus has a genealogy. He's real. He's man. He's born of the line of healing all the way back. I won't read all 77 again. But Jesus, please no. (laughs) Not all 77. He is man. Luke is emphasizing to us so that we would... See that this is not just some grand va- fairy tale. This is not just some cooked up mythology. When it comes to Christianity, we're not here talking about high minded principles and how to think positively and how to change the world with your thoughts and how to be better people and, and all of these things, and, which are maybe are fine in their own respects. But Christianity is not about ideas, it's about reality. Jesus Christ entered into humanity. He was a real man. He was God, surrounded by all these supernatural events. He has his divinity, but he also has his humanity. Story is told of um, missionaries, and I think it was Papua New Guinea. I couldn't, I'd read this earlier in the week, and then I lost track of where I read it, so I couldn't find the story, but I get the gist of it. So I'm going to kind of roll with it here. I think it was Papua New Guinea. These missionaries went to And they were witnessing to this tribe, learning the language. Lots of times, when you're reaching an unreached people group, you have to kind of first learn the language, and then you'll write the scriptures in their language. It's a lot of translation work, and when you do uh, missionary work. So they they went to, they they met these people, began to learn the language, and they start translating the Gospel of Matthew. But they couldn't, they hadn't yet learned the word for begat. They didn't say, you know, so and so begat begat who, begat who, begat who, begat. All of that. They didn't know that word. So they skipped over the first 16 verses of Matthew and just started with the life of Jesus. And they go through, translate the whole Gospel of Matthew. And by the time they're done going through the Gospel of Matthew, sharing it with the tribesmen who are learning about this story about Jesus, by that time they've learned the word begat. So then they go back in and they fill in the first 16 verses of the genealogy. And they begin to read the genealogy of Jesus to these people and they were astounded. The qu- you mean Jesus was a real man? You mean these stories that you were telling us about Jesus weren't just, you know, myths? Weren't things you've made up? Jesus, that, they were saying, that's how we relate to ourselves. They had their own genealogies. That's how, that was their history. That's the way they told about their reality is through their ancestors. And to hear that Jesus had ancestors opened up the gospel to them because it wasn't anymore just about this idea of what God has done in Jesus and just this kind of ethereal idea. It was hard truth that Jesus had ancestors. He was real, born into the world to, to serve a purpose, to live out a mission. So this is part of what Luke is doing here Forcing, in, forcing into us the reality that Jesus is not just some ideal or some concept, but that Jesus is real. He truly is. Third thing you kind of see, there's some really important names in this um, genealogy. If you start tracking backwards, one of the first ones that jumps off the page is the name of David. We know from 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there's this Covenant given to David that he will have a son who will sit on the throne, his throne, forever. That there's this ancestor, this king coming from the line of David who will rule forever. His kingdom will know no end. Well, Jesus is a descendant of this David. He's an inheritor of this promise to David that one will come who will rule forever, whose kingdom will know no end. We also see Abraham, or we see Judah on the list, uh, Genesis 49. Genesis 49, we have Jacob giving the uh, blessings to his children, and Judah is given this prophecy, this word is spoken over him, that the scepter will not depart from him. Meaning that the, the, the lion, the tribe, the royal tribe will come from this line of Judah. We have this important name here of Judah, and we also have the important name of Abraham on here. Abraham in Genesis 12 is the first man of the faith. God gives him a promise, says, from you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham believes God. Genesis 12 tells us, or Genesis 15 tells us, that because Abraham believed God and his promise to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. And then we see also the name of Adam, the son of God. Jesus, Adam, is this first supernatural creation, descendant, whatever. He is Adam, first man on creation, on earth. Jesus shows up, and he is our new Adam. He is the second Adam. If you want to study that out, you can read Romans 5. talks about uh, Ad, uh, Jesus being the second Adam. All along the way, from this genealogy, we see God's plan in working in history to redeem his people. God has been doing what he wanted to do all along, working down to the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke has spent a lot of time and so far in this letter emphasizing the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. There is to be in us this awe that God would even become a man, that God would consider leaving heaven, leaving eternity, leaving his throne, his glorious kingdom, that he'd even consider becoming a man is shocking enough. And then that he actually did it? <laughs> Not only would he consider doing that. I mean, how many of us would sit around and consider going to some you know, impoverished nation to help out with people you know or whatever? You'd consider it, but then when it gets down to actually doing it, we, you know, you're, we're all still sitting here. God doesn't just con- he considers it, which is amazing that he con- condescend to come down to us. Not only that, He actually does. He actually does. At some level, we all have to wrestle with the question of what do we do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus? Some of my best conversations with my unbelieving friends have centered around this question that when we talk about philosophies and uh, mysticism and and meditation and all these practices to try to find peace within yourself, you know, find whatever. But My question is, what do you do with Jesus? Really here, really a descendant, really man, yet claiming to be really God. What do you do with him? It's like uh, if you were to ask somebody, what's your opinion on Harry Potter? Does anybody have opinions on Harry Potter? Does anybody like Harry Potter? No one even likes Harry Potter. Gosh. I like Harry Potter. Okay, yeah, Mary, okay, I like Harry Potter. Does anybody, anybody hate Harry Potter? No one even hates, you don't even care about Harry Potter. My point, exactly. So when it comes, sometimes we treat Jesus like Harry Potter. Some, there's a couple people in the group, yeah, I like Jesus, I think he's great. Some, it may hate him, well, nobody really hates him. Do you, do you have any opinion? Yeah, it's just kind of there. Well, Harry Potter is a fictional character. He's easy to do that with. It doesn't matter if you care about Harry, I don't care if you care about Harry Potter, whatever. They're entertaining stories, you know, but anyway, that's its own thing. Jesus is not Harry Potter. He's not some fictional character. Jesus is real. And your opinion on him matters eternally. Matters immensely. What you think about this man who really was. Who entered into history. Who proclaimed himself to be God. Who worked acts of miracles. Who did amazing things. Raising people from the dead. Who claimed to give forgiveness of sins. This man who provoked the, the authorities of the time to the point that they murdered him, killing him on a cross, and then just as he promised he would do, three days later, this real man, this is not fairy tale, this real man bodily rose from the grave. Not Harry Potter. Jesus a descendant of all of these people really did this. He appeared to many witnesses after his resurrection and ascended into heaven and promised and, and gave the commission to go and share this good news of the Savior who has come and promised to return to forever wipe out all sorrow and all evil and set up the kingdom of his joy forever. We don't get to play the Harry Potter card on that one. Eh, I don't really. This is real. Christianity is not founded upon ideas, but upon reality. What will we do with Jesus? This is what he accomplished. Hebrews chapter 2.17 tells us about Jesus. He had to be made like his brothers, like humanity. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus really came on this earth with a mission as a fellow member of humanity, as our representative. He's on a mission as our high priest to make propitiation for us, a wrath-appeasing atonement. Jesus shows up to really do this. Christ lays down His perfect life, absorbing our punishment, the punishment of sinners, so that sinners can be freed from their just punishment, given his perfect life, and be reconciled to God. The question isn't just, what what will you do with this real Jesus? Real Jesus. Not concepts. Not how will you live, you know, how will you do this, that, and the other. Those are fine things to talk about. But the pressing question, this happened. Jesus is real. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is, is real, and because Jesus is real, the peace that He offers is real. The reconciliation that He offers is real. The forgiveness He offers is real. The joy He offers is real. The hope Jesus offers, because He is real, the joy that He offers is real, and the promise of a future free from all the terror and in full fellowship with God. That promise, because Jesus is re- Jesus is real. That promise is real. It's real. All these things are real. The question is, are they really ours? Is this real Jesus yours? Is this real Jesus mine? Do we turn from our sins, confess our sins, acknowledging I don't deserve this Jesus to be my Savior. I deserve the justice of God. But Jesus has come. He has entered into real space and time. Live the life I should have lived, died the death that I deserve, so that through repentance and faith in his work, I could be forgiven of my sins and reconciled to God my Father. This real Jesus really did this. Real. Real. And through repentance and faith in him, all of these incredible real things can be ours through the real person and the real work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask for illumination of this reality. So much of our day is is enthralled with talk of things and ideas and concepts and ideals. Father, you blow all of that out of the water when you really show up in your son when Jesus is born of a woman when God puts on flesh, when you added humanity to yourself. And Father, I ask for illumination, fresh illumination in all of our hearts that when we talk about our Savior, when we talk about Christianity, when we talk about faith, we're not talking about concepts. We're talking about something that is real, something that has objectively happened in history. And because it is real, It has real application. It has real importance. And it has real influence upon us. Father, give us eyes to see. Hearts turning from our own sin. Hearts running from our selfishness. Hearts running from the way that we want to live our life. And hearts running to the forgiveness found in the one real and true Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in His name. Amen.